Welcome to the Q-Law Pod and our special series, What's Next with Afshin Chowdhury. Each episode, Afshin chats with Queen's Law grads about their experiences, their education, and their career path after law school to explore the idea that there is no one way to be a lawyer. For other episodes of the Q-Law podcast, visit soundcloud.com backslash queens-law or your favorite podcast provider. In this episode of What's Next, Afshin chats with John McIntyre. John McIntyre is a healthcare lawyer working at his own firm, McIntyre Zabo PC. Prior to this, he was a judicial law clerk at the Court of Appeal for Ontario and an associate in the health law group of BLG, a large national firm. John is a proud 2014 Queen's Law alumni and recently obtained his Master's of Public Health from John Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland, with a certificate in LGBTQ public health. John has been recognized as one to watch by the best lawyers in Canada for the last three years. We hope you enjoy this episode. John, thanks so much for joining us today on the show. <laughs> I'm really, really happy that you said yes and that we're here and we're doing this. And I'm kind of excited to jump into the first question because, as I recall, you've had a long day. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I think this is such a great program. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so whenever we have our guests on the show, the first question we want to ask everyone is, what did you do? yesterday and we're bending the rules a little bit because yesterday was Sunday for those of you who are listening yes this is pre-recorded this time around but like yesterday was Sunday and I hope you weren't working too hard so rather we're just going to ask you what did you do today on a Monday what was your day like walk us through what time did you brush your teeth in the morning no I'm kidding <laughs> I mean you can kind of merge yesterday and today together because I've been pretty much working non-stop and the two days have blended together for me um but this time was a little bit unusual. Like it wasn't a typical day for me because I had a factum due on one of the big cases I've been working on lately. Um, and so it was really like we right now, I'm in a small law firm. It's just me and my business partner. We don't have an assistant. We don't have a law clerk. I do all of that myself. So I was going through and having to figure out, okay, how do I hyperlink within a PDF? I realized I didn't know how to do that already, but now I know. And then going through <laughs> case lines and getting everything sorted out there and finalizing everything like the amount of work that goes into you finish the substantive part of a factum to just getting it done is incredible um but this case is actually a really cool one because um uh, we are at the divisional court fighting ohip because they have refused to fund a non-binary person's uh, gender affirming surgery and so what we're doing is we're trying to make sure that she does get access to that surgery and open it up for other non-binary people in the future and so it's a case that I put a lot more time into than I think I would even an average case because I just feel a huge sense of responsibility to not totally mess this up um, for the community and to make sure that uh, we get the best decision possible. Well, that that sounds that sounds honestly incredible. Could you could you tell us more about what this like factum, what the process was like for you? What like where where do we where do you begin? What stage are you at? And uh, what do you expect the future to hold for this? Is is the deadline done, or are you now waiting for like is the nightmare over? Is what I'm asking. <laughs> it's partially over. I mean, my process process for writing factum is I do a really awful first draft. Um, I just try and write like the full 30 pages and get my thoughts out. And then I go back and I kind of start working with it because I, I tend to be good at getting a structure out. So my language sucks at the start and then I can work with it from there. And this time I actually did it. I was just uh, in Vietnam over the holidays for two and a half weeks. And I actually wrote the first awful draft of the factum on my flight there and my flight back. And so I kind of took advantage of the travel and got some stuff done while I was away when I couldn't be doing anything else. And then I came back and I fixed it all up. So I submitted it, I think, at 2 o'clock today. And that is the end of that part. We still have to figure out things like we're going to deal with uh, our request for costs. And then we have the actual hearing at the end of February. 
that's actually so impressive that you're able to write on a plane. Usually I write a very terrible first draft and that's where it's left. And so, <laughs> I don't think law school will help me figure out how to go uphill from there, but I'm sure yours is incredible. And that's, that's so cool. And honestly, it's even better when you actually feel your heart feels something for what you're writing about, because you could be writing a factum about, you know, areas of the law. And yeah, in theory, we're supposed to care about everything we write about, but not everything actually pulls at your morals, your heartstrings, and you're not passionate about it. So this is, I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that it's done, but I'm also glad that it wasn't something that was boring, but rather it was like interesting. It was about justice. It was something. It was the whole reason I started the firm on my own, because I mean, we all go to law wanting to make a difference in some way. And then I went to a big firm and I, I was doing mostly medical malpractice, work, which was interesting, at least the facts were interesting. They were cool stories, but I didn't feel like I was actually making a difference in any way. Like everything we were dealing with happened five to 10 years ago and nothing that happened in the case now was really going to change anything about the healthcare system. And so our firm, one of our two values of the firm is contribute to the healthcare system. And that is everything we bring into the firm. We're trying to make sure it's kind of hitting on that goal. And I find now I'm so much happier in my career because I actually feel like I'm doing something of value. Well, okay. So I, I want to hear all about this. Starting a firm. Hello, everyone. Those of you listening in the audience, if you want to start a firm, you got to stay tuned for the next 20 or so minutes and hear how John did it. But before we get to that, I just want to touch on life before even law school. Just just who were you before law school? And let's go through like a little bit of like a chronological order of life before law school. And then you came to Queen's Law, the greatest law school in all of Canada. Greatest one, absolutely. (laughs) So before you came here and you know, this this true beacon of a beauty. What well who was John before this? Who was John before that? John was struggling to figure out who John was before this, I think. Um, like, I was a, friends would always laugh at me in undergrad because it felt like I was always doing something totally brand new because I don't think I really knew what I liked. Like, I went from being on the student government to swimming with the varsity swim team to then I did a random community theater play in Burlington. <laughs> Um, because I was at McMaster, and then like uh, then I did this whole research thing. I think I was just like flitting around from one thing to another because I had no idea what I actually wanted to do myself. And I I was one of those kids from high school and before that that just kind of had that goal of okay, get good grades, get into a school. Like, my parents put this pressure on me, and I'm just going to follow it and ignore it and just go with it. And so I think in undergrad I was really trying to figure out well like who am I actually and what do I like as a person? And I think for me, it took a lot of kind of trial and error and testing out different things. Wow. And sorry, and what was your degree in undergrad in? Like, what do you study? I, I was in biology and psychology. Oh, wow. It's always cool to hear. I couldn't figure that. out what I was doing. I had to do two things. <laughs> Seriously. It's, it's just, you know, you're supposed to be 18 years old and then enroll in courses that determines the rest of your life. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, and I was on that track of thinking, oh, med school. And I think a lot of that was, again, that parental pressure and stuff like that. And I actually only decided that I didn't want to do med school the night before my I was going to lose my deposit on the MCATs. And I was sitting there, I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, I don't want this. And I finally, things started to kind of click for me. But it took me a while, like, professionally to find what I was interested in. Um, But it also took me a while personally to kind of express myself. Like, I am an out gay man now, but I only came out in third year of my undergrad. Like, I was somebody who was uncomfortable with my gay identity and who I was and expressing that. And so I think undergrad was actually super important for me and getting to where I am today. Oh, I'm really glad that you get to go through that journey. And I hope that it continued to be more comfortable as your journey continued into law school and your career and that you felt that you could just be safe and out and supported and celebrated through every chapter of that journey. Because I know for a lot of people, it's been difficult. And uh, this this world of law sometimes is, it, it's a little hard to navigate if you're anything other than I, I like to call it the prototype. <laughs> it's, you yep. know, <laughs> and, and I think folks listening can understand what that means. Like, there's just very soon into certain interviews, you'll feel like, hmm, maybe I don't fit this 
prototype and I'm not bonding as a prototype member. And I don't know if you, you've had any of these experiences too, where you just felt like, huh, hmm. <laughs> I, I think the, like another way that uh, example that I can kind of bring up that shows how my life has changed. So back then I was very uncomfortable. It took me a long time to come out and it took me even after I came out a long time to feel comfortable in my skin. But now like I am out not only as a gay man in the legal community, at work, whatever, but I'm also out as being polyamorous. Like I have a, I'm in a three-way relationship with two others. I've been with one for 12 years, one for four. And I didn't really hesitate to put that out there because I'm like, this is a part of who I am. If a firm or somebody in the legal community doesn't like that, I don't really care anymore, which just shows you how far I've come since I was in my undergrad and like scared to come out until I was 21. Oh my God. Okay. I just want to have a little moment of yes. <laughs> John. Yes. Yes. And that, that it's just, it's just being so unabashed is something that I personally look up to. And it's something that I want to kind of gain my own strength and power and to be authentically myself and, I think a lot of people listening are going to be able to relate to this feeling that it is so damn hard because, oops, it is so very hard. <laughs> it is so very hard <laughs> to just be able to be yourself and not feel imposter syndrome and not feel like you're being judged and not feel like that that voice that you have in our future episodes. We want to talk about this, but it's just it just it's just hard to feel like it's going to be okay and that you can still thrive and succeed in this world and unfortunately sometimes I feel like you know we come into law school and law is all about we're here defending rights this career would not exist if we were not defending rights whether that be actual personal rights whether that be rights in the corporate world or what have you and it's just mind-boggling to me how difficult it is to defend my own rights as a person and navigate this career it shouldn't be so daunting <laughs> yeah it's a lot easier when you're dealing with a client and taking on their burdens than dealing with your own but one thing I'll say and I know you say that you're going to deal with this in future episodes but I think the authenticity point is really important because what I'm seeing in the legal community in Toronto is a push towards authenticity I feel like more and more people are pushing back against that oh, I have to fit this prototype to succeed in law. I have to be conservative to succeed in law. And now they're just saying, no, I'm just going to be myself and I'm going to do it in my own way. And what I've found is the people doing that are doing a much better job of building business and creating client relationships because your client actually feels like they're getting to know you as an individual and that builds trust. So I actually think people who are authentic in their careers and in their profession are going to succeed more. Um, than people who aren't. And I think that uh, that should give a lot of hope to students who are trying to figure out now, like, like, when you're a student, you always think, oh, God, like, I have to go in this interview, and I have to give a totally different version of myself just to make them think that I fit in there. And I really, I, I want to try to break that idea with students, because I think that you will much more likely find something that works for you and fits what you want in your career, if you are your authentic self. So and I, I know you want to talk about this later, too, but um, when I came to Teach at Queens, one of the things that I felt was important was showing that to students. And so, for example, I talked about things like my polyamorous relationship. I talked about uh, certain things like, um, for example, I was teaching a public health law course um, and I went through having MPOX back a year and a half ago. And I shared those things because I feel like the more you are open as a lawyer with students who are learning and finding their own way, the better equipped they are to actually feel comfortable to find it their own way. And so I think we have a responsibility as people teaching this next generation to be our authentic selves, because otherwise, how can we expect you guys to? Oh, my goodness. That was poetry. That was just, what is going on today? That was beautiful. Thank you so much. And I'm just ranting. I'm in a ranting mood after spending two days writing a factum. So I'm worried about what I might say. <laughs> this 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 has to be copyrighted. This is this is beautiful. This is a beautiful speech, and I just I I cannot I cannot endorse this even more. And I I think it's so 
powerful to see this is what an intellect looks like this is what an intellect sounds like and this is what an intellect acts like and to know that there's so many different ways like just diversifying the spaces that we're in and for you to then be in the role of an instructor someone who has like inherent respect built in because you're the instructor and their teacher and students being called professor was very weird (laughs) (laughs) but it's true though it's true people look at you and then to have that as a possibility model you could have a student who might be in the same shoes as you also wanting to pursue a polyamorous relationship and you might be empowering them to feel that they can be authentic in themselves and 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 be able to to share that because just that destigmatizing is just chef's kiss oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) i do i do want to ask a question but again john if it's too personal we can open it up go for it okay john so i wanted to ask you one of the more harder questions that i think a lot of reviewers might be faced with and might want to know the answer to and it's that we're just wondering in in your journey of being your true and authentic self have there been any setbacks has there been any pushbacks any experiences where you felt like it it made it harder for you to stay true to this yeah I'm gonna kind of separate my answer to this question a little bit when it comes to just being an out and gay man I think things have changed significantly for the better in this profession such that Like, I don't feel like that is an issue that overtly comes up. I mean, I did have one interview where the person was really pushing me to come out in their questions, which was a very weird experience that I just kind of navigated in that moment. But overall, like there has been nothing really negative or, or overt with it. And I think a lot of that comes from the people over the last 10, 20, 30 years who have really fought to build a place for LGBTQ people in this overly conservative profession. And so I think that is starting to change. Um, where I think it's be, been a little bit more kind of difficult and obvious is with the being polyamorous and being open. Like, for example, I had one partner when I was starting to tell people around the firm that I spoke to and I told her, because everybody talked about their weekends and what they did. And so I started to talk about my partners, Juan and Anthony, and I explained this to her. And her response was, well, that's really unprofessional of you to talk about at work. And I just, it blew my mind a little bit because like, I knew everything about her children, her dogs, her cottage, her husband. And I'm like, I, I can't sit here and talk about my partners just because it's different than yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was something that was really bothersome to me. But I also like, I'm at a stage in my life where I don't care anymore. If somebody doesn't like it, I just kind of move on, move on and I continue living my life the way I am. And I think over time, people will become kind of more accepting as they see more people that they know um, living lives in their authentic way and in ways that they're not used to. Um, but I think you just have to not let that kind of get in the way or affect you. And this isn't also to say that these things are not all there in the background in some way. Like, there are some senior lawyers that I just never vibed with. It just did not work. And yeah. in the back of my mind, do I have it there that I think it has to do with the fact that I'm a gay man? Yeah, like I, I think about that. But it, it was never overt. It was never anything like that. And frankly, I don't want to work with somebody that I don't really vibe with. So I just also chose to stay away from those people. Now, I know it's also more difficult with kind of each intersecting identity that you have that is part of a marginalized community. Like, I understand that I have a privilege as a white male, that even though I might have issues as a gay man or a polyamorous person, I'm still in a different position than, say, a person of color who is gay. Um, and those that's where sometimes this profession really needs to catch up and do a better job. And I, I'm seeing it happening And I think we just, frankly, need more people to retire rather than stick around until they're 80 (laughs) so that we can finally really get this push from this younger generation to really change the way our profession operates. Oh, my goodness. There's there's 10,000 things that I loved in all that you shared. There's so many things. So many things. I just want to talk about just back to what you're first saying, that people might not necessarily innately or within themselves have more of a celebration and appreciation but the culture and so many years and years of work and the culture has shifted such that it's just unacceptable for you to overtly do anything and of course it's not necessarily 
it doesn't necessarily address the issues and we're not out here trying to save the world but you're right in are that. we though <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we are and maybe we can actually you're right we are trying to save the world <laughs> one day at a time <laughs> and but I, I do think it's really important to acknowledge that to to be very mindful of this mentality that oh you know sometimes people in our position in this day and point in time maybe are not struggling as much as others did 20 years ago and that's a good thing because yeah. i think we need to be careful and not make struggle virtue in that it's it's this is the point we don't want people to struggle so that's why we're yeah. here doing this work and, and i'm it's, it's really nice to hear when there are certain barriers and obstacles that we knew of that might not necessarily be present in every facet of this industry anymore it, it might be in others and not the ones that you went through and like that that is just like little things like that it's like okay there's hope there's change and like we can see that yeah. change your lived experience but then you've shared some like really really like I don't even want to like inappropriate at best but just like like really insulting and awful and I'm sorry you had to experience these comments oh my goodness and, and I'm really sorry I had to go through that but like you said um it's it's like you get these experiences and then you you can I'm really glad that you have the choice to know where you can stay and where you don't want to stay and that you can choose to be in an environment where you don't have to be surrounded by this kind of hate yeah. And I mean, even at a firm, like I, I never had any overt issues with being LGBTQ um, at BLG when I was there, nothing like that. But like, it's still a firm of like 300 lawyers in Toronto. And normally I was one of maybe three, maybe four at the highest out gay lawyers. Like representation is still a problem on Bay Street, especially. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something that we need to work on because uh, there are not just like, that's like what, 1%? There are not just 1% of the population is a very small amount. Like I think LGBT people represent five to 10%. And so mm -hmm. I, I, I can't wait until our legal profession better matches the clients that we serve and the diversity of the communities that we work in. Oh my goodness. I love this. I love this. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. I completely, completely agree. And I love that you touched on how every person has their own intersectional identity. And then that also informs how they navigate through and yeah, like diversifying base rate, I think has been pretty topical more of recent and getting there. I think there's been, there's, there's, ways that we're trying to navigate that and ask questions during OCIs, for example, and just when we're trying to choose a firm. I, I was actually wondering, this is this is like not even planned, but I'm just wondering, do you have any advice for people who might be doing job interviews to be able to suss out to just to like put it into layman's terms, to be able to suss out who's woke and who's not when you're choosing a firm? I think talk to other junior people that are there. That's your best, like the websites all look the same. How do you figure out what the difference <laughs> yeah. is? Like when they literally are all just saying that they do everything and they're fantastic about everything. Like, frankly, even having a, a person who's like in the C-suite for DEI doesn't mean that they're actually good at DEI. It means that they're good at advertising that they think about DEI. doesn't mean they're good at doing it. And so I think that it is really um, important to talk to people who are younger, who are more likely to be open and honest with you about their experiences. Because once somebody becomes a partner, like it's not their fault necessarily, but they kind of have to drink the Kool-Aid. They have money locked in with that firm. They need it to succeed. They need to like really breathe and feel like they are doing everything that they can. But I would talk to them. I would talk to other students who have been there very recently. Um, I would do the odd Google search. Because like, you'd be surprised at like some firms that are really awful. Um, there are things out there on Reddit, on Indeed, on other forums where people are talking about the like experiences of racism or homophobia or otherwise that they've had. And so you, you might get some um, perspective from those kind of things too. But I would uh, don't go in blind, um, go in and talk to people. Okay, okay. That's I, I never even thought about Google as an option, but that that actually makes a lot of sense I did I remember when I was doing the whole interview process which again it's just it's like one of those traumatic episodes that we normalize in a <laughs> yeah but it, yep. it's terrible <laughs> it's like writing the bar both of those things we all like move past it and we're like we're gonna put other people through this because we went through it like I 
exactly. Yeah, the bar is just looming over me in the future, but it's okay. It's okay. We're not there yet. We're not there. And oh yeah, I was saying. So I remember doing some interviews, and one of the things that I was a little concerned about was that I don't drink alcohol. And I know, I know how much the legal community loves socializing in this way. And so I would ask people at firms during coffee chats and like you said, juniors and articling students and people who are more so newer additions to the firm. And I found the answers to be so informative because people would just outright say, oh, you know, it, it might be, you might, you might struggle socially if, if you don't partake in certain activities or et cetera, et cetera. Like people were a little bit more, I guess, transparent in that way. And that kind of helped me navigate which firm to go to, because whether it's like religiously informed culturally or just a personal choice, I just, I think that answer to that question in particular gives me a lot of insight into the agency you have where you work. And just yep. like your personal decisions and your personal life and how you can balance that. So I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, there's too much of an alcohol influence within the the legal community where everything is based around these social events where there is alcohol. Like, I mean, I do drink myself. I don't care if whoever I'm out with in whatever way is drinking themselves. And that's never been a point for me. I think everybody should be able to make their own decisions. But I'm even more conscious now of okay, even if I want to drink at this event, what am I doing here to negatively contribute to this whole environment that is making somebody else feel like they have to? And so I'm trying more actively to, even if I wanted to have a drink, kind of stay away from it because I, I think that it just creates this environment where junior people feel like they have to keep up. And I'm not mm. sure that's, like, I think that's the vibe for like the older generation who very much expects that like, if I'm out drinking, you're out drinking with me. Whereas for me, like, I don't care. And uh, I try and make that very known to people either by not drinking at all. Or if I do, I like I will say like, look, get whatever you want. If you want water, if you want whatever, there's absolutely no expectation here. I think people can socialize with or without alcohol and still be a part of that social community and that social fabric. It shouldn't be a mm -hmm. prerequisite. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. And, it, and again, whether you choose to partake or not, neither choice should be judged. And yes. And, and as long as we can foster an environment where just, again, it's your own personal choice and just it's your life, you can navigate it the way you want without building any, again, like unhealthy environments, like you said. And now now we're straying a lot away from <laughs> what <laughs> life is like <laughs> after law school. But it's okay because this was such a good conversation. And I think, I think our audience is going to enjoy this, but I did want to get back to law school because I yeah. really didn't even talk about that. So you went to Queens law and that's, that's incredible. So tell us about your time at Queens law, what, what courses you love, which ones maybe you did it. You don't have to, you don't have to talk about someone you did it. If you don't want to. I kind of feel like it's a lie to say that I went to Queens law because I was not very big on going to classes. <laughs> Um, I was like, I just, I'm not one of those people who learns very well by sitting there and listening to somebody speak at me. So I typically, unless it was a class where there were participation grades, I would just not go and I would sit at home and I would read more or do my own research or kind of figure it out based on where the course was going. Um, so, I mean, half the time I was just staying in my place on Baggett Street and not really venturing out too much because I was studying there. Um, but classes <laughs> that I really um, liked, I really liked um, advanced legal research. Um, uh, which is, I know, kind of shocking, but um, uh, it was with, um, unfortunately, she passed away since, but Nancy McCormick was such a phenomenal instructor, um, and I really um, liked having her. And then I'm trying to think what else. I actually, I got involved in the client consultation competition and did it as a formal course as well. And like, I enjoyed that experience because like you're going in and dealing with real issues that might come up and trying to figure out like, okay, what's the best way that I can be an active listener and engage with this individual and learn things? And I think from that experience, I became much better at dealing with clients later on. And oh. so I really liked that side of things. Like I, I was much more about the practical aspects that were mm -hmm. adjacent to the like actual law, law classes than the actual classes themselves, which is why I've tried to kind of adapt the course that I taught in a bit of a different way so that it's, it's not doing the things that I didn't particularly vibe with. Um, now, I'm sure there's people who don't necessarily like the way that I've done it, but I want to at least offer something a little bit different in my course than they're going to get from any other course um, so that there is some variety there. 
Well, since since we're on it, since we're on the topic, let's just do some let's just do a little shameless plug here of of your course. Let's talk a little bit about that, and then and then we can yeah, let's hear. <laughs> yeah, so it's the public health law class. Um, it's offered in the first term. I don't know yet if I'm coming back next year. I think they only make those decisions later in the year, but. Um, it was a really good um, and fun time. Like, I feel like especially right now, after everybody going through the pandemic and COVID-19, it was a really good thing to talk about how the law has developed and evolved since then. And uh, what were the laws that people didn't realize every day were affecting them, but were in the background affecting them in different ways as we had different lockdowns and different rules and different obligations. Um, but the thing that I love most about public health law is that it is so much more than just dealing with infectious diseases. So we, t- we had a class on um, tobacco and uh, uh, marijuana regulation. We had a class on the opioid pandemic um, uh, and issues there. We had a whole class on um, gender and sexual rights and diversity. Um, we had a class that dealt with, um, and we actually had the speaker in from the U.S., to talk about the loss of um, like the um, Rowan Wade being overturned in the States and how those kind of issues may affect us up here in Canada. Um, We talked about food law, about environmental law, because all of it comes together to deal with the public health of the community. So it was just really fun for me to teach something that was so broad and give people ideas of what might be something that they're interested in doing as a lawyer down the road. Oh, that is so cool. That is so cool. Now I feel like I want to take this course that I don't have. You should. I know. I know, but I'm graduating. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but oh, it sounds so fun. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and And I think for me, like, uh, I don't remember a single thing from any particular class, like, uh, in terms of, like, uh, a piece of information. But I do remember some of the assignments that I did that were meaningful to me or things that I really engaged in. So what I've done with this class is that there's a couple different assignments where people get to choose the topics of what they work on as long as it's within public health law and explore something of interest to them. And I feel like that's going to have a longer lasting impact on these students than me just making them memorize something for an exam that they're going to forget a couple weeks after. That's, that's very true. That's very true. I, uh, I did teaching prior to coming to law school and it's true like as soon as you build a personal connection with whatever you as a student are producing it just sticks with you much longer it's just just basically yeah. I mean it stressed some of the students out because they're like <laughs> I'm used to 100% final and now you're making yeah. me do things and submit things during the term like yeah. what is this yeah what is high school <laughs> yeah well you heard it here folks Right on our show, John's Health Law class. So when it's August and you're doing course enrollment, you know which one to select. <laughs> yeah, I'm so hoping we- to be teaching it again next year. And yeah, hopefully. I mean, it was fun. I was up in Kingston every Wednesday. And so I would take the train oh. up in the morning, come back at night. And it just being back at Queens meant a lot to me personally. And I've had some people since be like, well, why don't you try to teach at U of T or Osgood and just you don't have to travel as far. But For me, that wouldn't give me the same sense of satisfaction. Like I went to Queens. I got so much out of that community. I want to give back to that community. And I think it's harder when you're in a, like in Kingston, farther away from a central hub like Toronto or Ottawa to get practitioners that are really experts in their field. And so I think it's important for people to give their time and go like not just to Kingston, but for like Western, for other schools that are not right in those hubs. I feel like practitioners from those hubs need to be more willing to travel to really teach people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it must be such a, it was probably such a refreshing part of your week too, because you're also close to students. And I feel like once we graduate, there's always a part of us that will miss that time being in school and so close to your friends. And it just, it is, it's such a precious chapter. And so you talked about becoming an expert in the field and we, we love, we love this. We love this. And I, now I'm wondering, so you graduate from Queens Law and now you are where you are. Walk us through from graduation to present day. What were the choices? How did you navigate your career? And what brought you to present day John? Yeah, I I was always the student that, like, I think I was unique in that I knew I wanted to do health law from the beginning. Like, I almost went to med school back in the day, but I changed my mind. Like, I was always interested in health. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to be a lawyer, I want to do it in health. 
And I think that is unusual, but that's why I was very kind of focused on that path. So as a 1L student, I was lucky to get an internship at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. So I spent the summer with their legal department. And then that got me in with BLG, who was their external counsel. Um, and I got a job at BLG and I summered an article there. Um, and I like I focused almost entirely in the health group when I was there. So they do some really interesting work all across the healthcare sector. And I was just like gobbling it up as a student. Like I did not have work-life balance at the time, but that was also by choice entirely. Like every new thing I was like, well, I want to do that. I want to do that. This is really <laughs> cool. And then all of a sudden I'm working 16 hours a day, which wasn't great, but um, very much was my own choice because I was like a sponge just getting excited about every little thing. <laughs> Then I went to clerk at the Court of Appeal for a year. And like, I mean, that obviously wasn't focused on health. That was, I mean, I did a lot of criminal work and other stuff, which was really interesting. But I decided that the best place to go back to at that point was BLG because I would get the broadest health law experience. And I stayed there for about, I think, almost six years. And at the end, it was kind of, there were multiple reasons why I decided to make a change. One was um, I think I mentioned earlier, like the medical malpractice files were very focused on the past. I really wanted to have an impact currently. I also struggled personally during COVID, like I am an extrovert. And mm -hmm. so COVID and being stuck inside, even though I had two partners at home, like I was like going nuts and I just needed my space and I needed to get out and be around people. Um, and so I applied to do my master's of public health. And I ended up deciding to go down to the States to do it uh, at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, because I was like, you know what, I like gyms are open down in the States, you can go out and do a little bit more, they were a little less restrictive. And I just I felt for my mental health, I needed to get out there and be the extrovert that I am on the inside. Um, so I went into that and the year was very important for me because I was debating if I wanted to keep being a lawyer like I was starting to feel like law wasn't really for me anymore at that point and mm -hmm. I wasn't sure why and I thought okay maybe this is a good way to pivot to working in a hospital like in uh, as an administrator or something like that and while I did that I started my own firm just as a part-time thing like it really wasn't meant to be a long-term thing it was a hey I've got a couple clients I'm paying an insane tuition amount down here in the states let's just do this. And mm -hmm. I, I entirely fell back in love with the law. I, what I realized was I just didn't like practicing law at a big firm focused on things in the past. I needed to have like tangible issues that I felt I was making a difference. And now that I do, like, honestly, I, I moved back from the States to just build the firm full time, which I've been doing now for the last two years. And I couldn't be happier. And it's all focused on health law, doing things that excite me, um, but in a way that's different than before. So I definitely like if we're looking for like takeaways here for listeners is things like if you're ever feeling like the law isn't for you or you're struggling, like, I mean, it's possible that it might not be for you and there might be other things that you would prefer doing. But it might just be that where you are isn't the perfect match for what you're looking for. So consider whether there are other things in the law that could give you what you need out of it. That's that's beautiful. Yeah, we we have we're trying to do the slogan on the show, and it's that there's not only one way to be a lawyer, and a, a lot of that is also that you don't have to be a lawyer, period. Exactly. <laughs> you, you you don't. Yeah, and this degree is versatile, and I think what's so important for people to hear because I think there's like mounting student debt, and people have their lines of credit, and then there's this whole pressure of okay, well, if I'm not a lawyer, why did I invest so much? of my resources, not just financial and economic, but also just your personal well-being into this degree. And what am I supposed to do with it? And how do I reconcile with the choices I'm making in life? But I think it's really, really important to hear that, just have that confidence in ourselves that we have built ourselves to a place where, say, we want to explore a life outside of just being a strict lawyer, that we are mm -hmm. good enough to do that. We're good enough to explore and we have value and that value doesn't have to be in the shape and form of a lawyer and that we will be okay. And so it's absolutely. Good. Yeah, exactly. And, and during that time, like, did you have any anxieties of, okay, if I were to potentially leave law, like in that kind of limbo phase, like, do you have any anxieties about, about that? 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing I actually, so right after my master's, I did a six month stint at a hospital in Chicago working as like what they call an administrative fellow. Like I was basically supporting, it was almost like an articling student kind of thing. And I think my stress during that was that like I was starting, if I continued with that path, I was starting that career essentially from scratch. Like my my legal experience was valuable to them, but they still needed to see me kind of work my way up and do it in that way. And I was sitting there and I was doing things that I didn't feel like I was offering the value that I could actually offer. I'm like, look, like I've been working eight years in this industry and I'm doing this very simple chart that like, it doesn't take any thinking or any like mind product. And so I think I was starting to have anxiety over hey, why am I doing this when I'm actually now I've started my firm, I love this, and I'm getting a lot out of it. And I feel like I'm working at my highest capacity rather than like barely using any of the things that I've learned. So I think my biggest anxiety there was feeling a little bit useless. But also like, remember, I'm now eight years into my practice, and I'm starting to think about am I still going to be a lawyer or not? And there are different ways that you could jump in um, at a lateral level rather than starting from scratch. But when we go to like your point of talking about students who are leaving law school and are like, well, I don't even know if I want to be a lawyer. I think that your law degree prepares you so much for everything that could be out there that is not even in the law. And I think one of the things that when I was in law school, I felt I didn't like the theoretical model of teaching. Um, and I do harp on that a lot because I don't like it very much. But in uh, the defense of Queens and all of the other law schools out there that uh, typically do follow that model, it does work in teaching you to think differently. And you don't realize it when you're a student, but my God, I look back at that time and those three years taught me to think differently. Like they taught me to analyze things differently. And I actually didn't realize it, but I was learning those soft skills that Mm. make me so much more marketable after law school, which is why so many industries outside of law specifically love hiring lawyers, because they're like, we know you're going to think about things in such a different way than everyone else. So it really, this is going to prepare you for anything you decide to do after this. And so don't feel like it's a waste, because you're still getting something out of this, even if you're not strictly practicing law. Oh, that's so, oh, that's so valuable. I'm so glad you said all those words. <laughs> I love that. Yes. And I feel like I'm just ranting a lot today. So <laughs> no, not at all. no, you're not ranting. This is beautiful. This is honestly exactly what we need. Because at the end of the day, to be honest, we're kind of lost in the sauce, right? Yeah. And we just need to feel like it's going to be okay, no matter where we are. And that's that's what I think the point of the show is, too, because maybe we right off the bat after law school, we do or don't know where we are or eight years down the road or 20 years down the road. And it's just to know that no matter where we are, what stage of life, what people are doing and to know that, like, everyone has their own path and it can be nonlinear, it can be linear, what have you. And it's just nice to hear those reassurances. So nice. But it's hard <laughs> to make you believe it until you experience it yourself. It's like I, I always think back to the analogy of like, I was somebody who was bullied in elementary school and uh, like everybody at the time, like adults and family and all that would be like, it gets better. Trust me, it gets better. And when you're in that, you don't think it gets better. You don't believe that that's actually going to happen. And now I look back and I'm like, oh yeah, like it gets better. And what would I do? I would tell a kid going through that, that it gets better, but they're not going to believe me. Like you guys won't necessarily believe me saying that you will find your path and you will find something that you love, even though I have full confidence that everybody will and will like go through their own experiences to get there. But you kind of have to do that yourself until you're fully going to believe it. No, it's true. It's facts. It's facts. And the most we could do is we could say it, we could be here and support each other through it. But I think even hearing it is something to hear. Hear somebody else's journey is something. And yeah, no, I would sorry. suggest that people look at that website. I think it's not your average law job. Um, they've been doing some really great profiles on people that are not following the traditional Bay Street path or whatever. Um, and they do yeah. really cool like exposés on that, how these people got to where they are and what they're doing that's different. And I think the thing that really sticks out to me among everybody who's ended up in a non-traditional path is that there's not a linear path to get there at all. Like you ask them how they got there. They're like, well, you know what? I never really planned for this, but I did this one thing that I thought was cool. And then that led to this relationship with this person who led to this job over here. And then I ended up here. And then I really liked that. And I fell into this. Like 
it's mm. you you can't plan for the perfect career so I think that everybody should just be following what their interests are like don't do something because oh I think I should do that because that will set me up for where I think I need to be do the yeah. thing that you're like hey this I'm vibing with right now I really like yeah. this I want to yeah. do this and I am going to see, and then maybe that leads somewhere else, or maybe you actually love that and stay there your career, but you got to do something that you like, because that's more likely you're going to do better work. You're going to mm-hmm. be a happier person, which is going to make it more likely for you to use that as a platform for something else, rather than if you're miserable where you are, like mm-hmm. you're probably not going to get good references. You're not going to be happy. You're, you're going to be kind of feeling stuck. So yeah. I think people should really follow their interests and uh, that will lead them like trust your instinct that that will lead you to where you want to be. It's true. But I got to tell you, John, it's scary because. Oh yeah. We're, and it's like, we are, we are precarious right now. in our <laughs> position. And, and I think, I think just like, listen, I, it's so important to listen to your gut. I think it's so hard to follow it. So it's. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and just like sitting there and being totally introspective about, okay, what, do, what do I actually feel? What is actually making me happy? Is it, to be candid, is it the is it the money? Not that it's making you happy, but is it making me feel more secure? Is that why yep. I'm staying? Or is it because this area of law, like I am excited to come into work every day. This makes me feel something. And to be able to delineate these things, I think is a practice that is, I don't think it's as hard as we make it out to be. I think it's just harder to act upon. Yeah. 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 No, I agree with that. And I think like all of these things are risky and are stressful to kind of take those leaps. But the other thing is, it is not a bad thing to fail. Like you can fail or you can be wrong that a path is is going to work out and everything is still going to be okay. Like the one thing that I, I think you guys all forget is that you have already started to create your professional network. Like the people who you are in school with right now, are people that you're going to be surrounded by in different ways throughout your career. And they're people who might be there to like pick you up if you fail and help you out or give you a helping hand or like, don't forget that you guys are all there for each other too. And that you're not actually in this alone, because I find now like 10 years later, I just went for, um, I, I got together with a bunch of the law clerks that I worked with. There's, I think there were 10 of us there. And like, we're all trying to help each other out. Like some people are referring files to each other and somebody left their job and everybody else is trying to help them find another job. Like you're all there for each other too. So don't forget that. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that. I know. Yeah. You're just cute. Like, what are you going to like do a high school musical? We're all in this together. Thing on the <laughs> yeah, radio exactly. Show? exactly. This is the more, I think, heartening and wholesome version of the speech that we got during orientation in first year where they just kind of scare and they say, your reputation starts today. It starts now. Your reputation follows you, which is very true. Yeah, our reputation is important. But I think I like this idea of that our friendships right now are important and the connections we build and the community we, we build. That is important. That's also what we're building. I think it says, I don't know, it's a very sweet way to put it. And I like it like this more. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I'll start doing the orientation speech then. Yeah, yes, yes. John for orientation. I would back that up 100% <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just want to be mindful of the time so how about we go into one of our last uh, on a wholesome note because we just we're just vibing in a wholesome sweet way why don't we end on our really nice question which I like asking everybody because I love food and the question is what was your favorite place to eat in Kingston oh, th- this is a very clear answer um <laughs> Mekong and I think that's at what division and princess if I'm right yeah um it it is hands down like every time I go back to Kingston I eat there there was one time where I was even driving through from Ottawa and it was like 11 I think 10 at night and they were just about to close or like 9 45 and I called them and I had them make something for it that I then picked up and I just ate on the drive home um uh, they are it's like the best Vietnamese food I have had in Canada um, I always get the number 10, which is okay. uh, the vermicelli with the spring rolls. Their fried spring rolls are to die for. Um, and it's just, they're, they're a great place. Like they're good people. They've uh, been in business forever now. And uh, I would recommend anybody go there. 
Okay. You know what's really fun? I think Kingston is unique for this. But everyone we've had on the show, I believe, has said their favorite dishes as a number on the menu. And this, I think, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now that I'm thinking about it, I totally associate my favorite dishes with a number on the menu. Wild. Yes. Okay. Well, it's because I would finish my class at seven o'clock <laughs> at the law building. Then I would call them and order the number 10. I would walk up, I would pick it up by 720, and then I would get to the train station by Uber and be on my train at 740. So, like, I had, like, it was a very That's strict a timeline so that I could get the food that I wanted. Oh, my God. I respect that so much. I love that. <laughs> That's a hustle. You know, you're hustling out here, and we love it. I think I'm going to have to get this this week. Number 10 at Mekong. And before we close, I have to I have to thank you so much, John, because you were incredibly generous for our whole episode. And this just felt like such a heartening conversation. Honestly, it filled me. It filled me. <laughs> this is the highlight of the week. And I know the week just started, but I know this is the highlight of the rest of my week. And it was I'm I'm so grateful that you shared what you did. And I know for a fact people are gonna listen to this and it's going to mean something to them too and to like their being and their hearts. And thank you so much for your generosity, for taking the time to come. I know you have had a very busy week. And so to, for you to bring your joy as well, to be generous with that energy. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And I think you're doing something really cool here. And for those listening, like I encourage them to first, I like feel free to reach out to me. My email is on my website online. Like you can absolutely just reach out to me and we can chat about things. But I also think like, remember as students, there are different organizations you can get involved in. Like if you're interested in health law, I think like the Medical Legal Society in Toronto has like a very cheap membership for students. Like there's things that you can do to go meet people and lawyers that have your same interests and you can start just learning from them. Like, and I mean, I know that in law school, like the career office and all that, and by the way, big plug to Julie Banting. She's absolutely fantastic and I love her. <laughs> Um, so you guys are in great hands at the career office. But I think that like the whole idea of an informational interview that like you're trying to get something out of that interview to like benefit you. I like to say like, you know what? We all benefit by just meeting new people and hearing about their perspectives. So go into these organizations or reach out to lawyers in different areas that you're interested in and just learn about what they do on a day-to-day basis, which you're kind of doing through this podcast, which is fantastic. But students should still go and develop those relationships and build that community themselves in areas that they really care about. And that goes for not just subject matter, but also like there are LGBTQ organizations in the law. There's organizations for people of different backgrounds, et cetera. Like go and meet other people that will make you feel like you have a place in the profession because there are others that kind of... Uh, vibe with you on different levels like uh, just put yourself out there and meet people I guess is what I'm trying to say <laughs> we need to publish this interview and this will be your first book <laughs> just, yeah. poetry, just poetry and I realize we're on zoom so people can't tell who are listening and that I'm smiling so much at you as and that I'm waving my hands yeah exactly exactly but this is all it's all going to be auditory anyway so we're good we're good but those are those are some beautiful lasting words and and it's something for me to think about too so with with all that being said if you want to contact John as he said his email is available and he is generously opening this door so please do feel free and I mean I had the most fun getting to talk to you through this time and and I hope that you know I I'm going to stay connected to you what absolutely <laughs> yeah that, of course <laughs> you're awesome we'll go to Mekong together next time <laughs> yeah. I'm oh that's yeah that's the plan. We're going to go to Mekong and get a number 10. Yes. <laughs> and to all those who are listening, we have future episodes coming up. This is, we can listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify uh, as a Q-Law pod special series. And I'm Afshin, and you're listening to What's Next with Afshin, and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>